Today's episode of the Film Stage Show is brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema. For your free 30-day trial, go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of the Film Stage Show, the movie review podcast for thefilmstage.com. I am your host, Brian J. Rowan. With me today on this voyage at Astra is Michael Snydell. Hello. <laughs> Good work. Bill Graham. Holy shit. Did we not all see the Goldfinch? I thought I thought we were reviewing the Goldfinch. <laughs> a week late to review the Goldfinch. <laughs> The movie that's just burning up the screen so hot we had to double back for it. And a special guest today, it's Matt Cipolla. Hi. How are you today? I am dandy. Awesome. And uh, why don't you uh, introduce yourself to our listeners by saying a little bit about yourself? Oh, um, I I pretend to be a film critic, I guess. Um, that's all of us. <laughs> I- <laughs> yeah, I um, I write for the school and a couple other sites. I just do freelance stuff, etc. So I so listen. That's, to- wait, I'm sorry, I have to correct that. Matt does an insane amount of reviews. I have no idea how he keeps <laughs> up the clip and the quality of what he does. Uh-huh. Like, I, I'm convinced you have some sort of magical magical power some macguffin something because i don't know how you do that time turner as you from do. Harry Potter? yeah, yeah. <laughs> sure i do a time turner <laughs> yeah it's just i i think you blame it on my ocd sure i'll do i'll take that he's our local hermione yeah yeah <laughs> how I'll do take, you I'll... how do you juggle all of it how do you juggle all of it um i mean honestly i just pills yeah <laughs> <laughs> That's yeah. That's the thing. I just, I honestly, I, I make a tentative plan on my calendar. Just, I'm going to see this movie on this day at this time, and then as soon as it gets out, I'm going to start writing about it asap. And if someone doesn't already have something on it, I'll say, "Do you want this?" And then they'll say, "Yeah, sure." And I'll go, <laughs> "Great." And then they end up running it, and I'm like, "Okay, cool." <clears throat> see, as as a father, I can't get out to see a lot of the uh the previous screenings and stuff like i used to so for a while i was like oh i'm gonna see this movie on friday i'm gonna write something and see if i could pitch it somewhere and you know i was trying to branch out beyond the film stage and um i had a friend who knew a guy over at a uh, hollywood reporter and i kept sending him stuff but it was always like on monday right after the movie came out and he'd be like this <laughs> is great i love it we're not publishing anything about this movie anymore <laughs> I'd be like, yep. really? It's it's over? Like three days? He's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're not gonna we're not paying for content about this anymore. I was like, okay, great. Yeah. I'm just gonna post it on my site for free. That's fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> you say I, I I wasted five thousand words. Cool. No problem. I, I mean, it, it's you. usually I feel pretty good. Like I came up with a headline too. <laughs> <laughs> expunging whatever I'm feeling in a writing that that makes me feel good. But um, two things. One of them, uh, you said, like, pretend to be a film critic. I, I feel like there's a joke on the last podcast on the left because, like, a lot of serial killers would be like, I'm a photographer. Come and let me take photos of you and then I can murder you. And so they say they say constantly, like, there is no such thing as a photographer. No one is a photographer. They're just a person with a camera and bad intentions. 
Yeah, and I just have too much of an ego, and I need people to know my opinion. It's the same thing. Yeah, exactly. That's just what we are as movie critics. It's just like, I have a lot of things to say about movies, and maybe I could just publish them somewhere. But I don't think movie critics aren't a real concept, right? They're just a made-up social construct. It's like time. It's just bullshit. (laughs) And uh, the other thing I was going to say is, if you uh, hear a Muse song at the beginning of this podcast, that means, you know, it it can only mean one thing. We're going to space. Oh, hell yeah. And you're 13. That's the majority of of Muse's, yeah. Yeah. Um, So I I played Starlight for uh, High Life. I played it for Anyara, and now I'm playing it for Ad Astra. (laughs) (laughs) He was like sitting in the movie, and I was like, hmm, I wonder what song I'm going to play. And then I was like, let me see what I already played. And it turned out that I just used Muse Starlight for the first two movies. And I was like, well, doing it again. And now I am underlining it. Anyway, yes, today we are talking about Ad Astra, the new film from director James Gray starring Brad Pitt. And uh, before we get into that, the usual stuff, find us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, email us, podcastfilmstage.com, go to iTunes, give us a comment and rating, go to patreon.com slash show to give us your money. You will get access to our Slack channel, yeah. first crack at all of our cool movie raffle stuff. And... Uh, you also just get the uh, the sense of accomplishment that comes from knowing you helped us. You're not just getting this shit for free. Yeah, Make us bro. feel like our time is actually valuable because nothing else in this ungodly world does. <laughs> we are also brought to you by Mubi, the online streaming cinema where every day their gregarious curators bring you a brand new film to enjoy. Gregarious. Uh, you have gregarious. Gregarious. They're gregarious, right? Yeah, it's a good word. You feel free to use it. It's English. It's free for everyone. I can't use it. I have to look up what it means because I always fuck that up. Please do it so we don't have another nubile incident. (laughs) Jesus Christ. Uh, I can't even remember what podcast that was from. Anyway, uh, so movie. Yeah, they've got a bunch of great stuff going on. They've got their What is an Auteur series still ongoing. You can watch Sweet 16 and My Name is Joe from director Ken Loach. Just awesome. Uh, the man who directed The Wind That Shakes the Barley, the Palme d'Or winning film about the uh, Irish Rebellion. We've also got Scarlet Diva by Asia Argento on there now. Oh, nice. I've heard that one's amazing. I'm, I'm hoping to get to that soon. Even though she was kind of canceled, but whatever. She got, she got like <laughs> mostly canceled, yeah. right? You know, like she's on the bubble. Yeah. <laughs> Anyway, oh boy. Uh, we also have the uh, Broken Circle Breakdown. Which is right. not a Broken Social Scene album title. No. <laughs> Shockingly. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, that's about that. So those are the new films on Mubi. Again, a new film every day for you to catch and enjoy. Constantly rotating selection of 30 films for your free 30-day trial of Mubi. All you got to do is go to mubi.com slash filmstage. Again, that is mu bi.com slash film stage do we have anything uh, to talk about before we get into our feature review of ad astra i just realized this why did you okay why didn't you use supermassive black hole for high life if you wanted to stay on the muse train you know well, what i mean that that would have been better for yes that and then also interstellar well i'm not about to go back in time that far to see what i put for interstellar <laughs> but it is super possible that I did use Supermassive Black Hole. I, I no, I doubt it. And so, so Supermassive Black Hole makes sense for for High Life, yes. But so does you know a view song that 
talks about a ship taking someone far away from the people who care if he lives at all. Okay. Oh, yeah. Oh, is, is are these spoilers? What's going on here? For High Life, a movie <laughs> that we talked about four months ago. No. Oh, I, the movie I that's logline is a shit ton of people are on a starship to the stars. Oh no 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 no! I, I don't. I think thought so. you were talking about uh, Ad Astra, but no. Okay. Also, still right, not a spoiler. Yep. There are spaceships in this movie. <laughs> Oh, man. Anyway, so yeah, this is a movie about a uh, man, uh, Roy. Oh, good start. Yeah, Roy McBride, <laughs> played by Brad Pitt, who has to travel to try to discover whether or not his long lost father is the cause of a series of disasters on Earth. And um, yeah, it's a kind of a riff on Heart of Darkness uh, within our own solar system. It's a movie directed by James Gray, co-written by James Gray and Ethan Gross. Stars Brad Pitt, and Tommy Lee Jones is his father. Here is the trailer. This is Major Roy McBride. I'm attempting to reach Dr. Clifford McBride. This is Dr. McBride's son. Dad, I'd like to see you again. how we used to watch black and white movies together and musicals were your favorite. I remember you tutoring me in math. You instilled in me a strong work ethic. You should know I've chosen a career that you would approve of. I've dedicated my life to the exploration of space. All right, that is the trailer for Ad Astra. This film out in theaters now. Let's talk about it. We will, of course, do our spoiler-free section before moving on into spoilers. Let us begin with our guest, Matt. What did you think of Ad Astra? I really liked it. And um, I'm not going to say I'm as head over heels in love with it as a lot of people seem to be. I'm kind of surprised that so many people are this enamored with this movie. Because the biggest thing keeping from me from saying it's one of my all-time favorites of the year which is a contradiction unto itself uh is basically <laughs> like it's not necessarily profound and it's not the type of movie where i walked away saying oh i learned something but again i'm obsessed with a lot of movies that are fundamentally shallow so but this movie didn't have the like the technical wherewithal or like the 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 style to uh redeem itself in that aspect but in otherwise i found it mesmerizing um, for the main thing, I was, I wasn't totally sold on it for the first hour or so. And then it just sort of clicked. Um, because mainly my main issue with it is, uh, aside from, you know, the themes not being, they're more fascinating in theory than in execution at points. Um, there is a preponderance of dialogue, mostly expositional, um, throughout the movie, um, in the second half, it works really well because by that point, you're already kind of under its spell and it gets to the point where even human words just sort of sound like dissonant sounds and that kind of adds to the hypnosis of it. And I really like that. Um, the first half, it's 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 on the nose. It's telling you what everyone is thinking and there isn't enough time between the start of the movie and that motif for the arc to actually progress very well. Um, so I was very aware of its choices um, but I'm, I've only seen it once. I do want to see it again, not only to 
to look at it from a different lens in terms of what I've noticed from its themes, but um, to see exactly what it was doing. Because I, I didn't see any trailers for it. I haven't read a ton about it. When I saw it, I was I, I knew a basic logline. And um, if nothing else, I'm happy that it's a movie that just left me feeling content in a weird way. I wasn't feeling thrilled or free or anything. I just felt very, very content. All right. Michael Snydell. I think I think, <clears throat> excuse me. Well, Matt, I want to quickly ask what, where do you land on James Gray's other films? Um, I well, in terms of his other movies, I would say so Lost City of Z I had not seen until yesterday, um, which I thought was decent. I really, really like The Immigrant. Um, mm-hmm. And so, I mean, generally speaking, this is it's funny. I kind of forgot that this was from him up until I was going to see it. And then I was like, oh, okay, it's this guy, sure. And I guess that that did color my expectations a little bit. And I'm I'm sure it softened the blow relative to some the people who were in the theater with me and were not pleased. <laughs> no, that's that's very fair. Yeah, it's yeah. James Gray has been someone I um, I he I, I'm very ambivalent about him. I, on one hand, it is the the craftsmanship and you know. The old-fashioned moniker that people keep attaching to him, in part because of his production methods and his, uh, yeah, sense of uh, his sense of style, his interest in production design, his interest in this very kind of like magisterial cinema, and so like Lost City of Z was something that. I also felt some difficulty. I, I I often feel some difficulty with his films because they're at, at their heart very uh, chaotic. They're they're very recursive, chaotic. Thank you, Brian. Wait, what's what's chaotic? Like, like Don Quixote. Yes, like like their journeys that are redundant but are for transcendence. Oh, they're, okay, they're there about, we go. Okay, yeah. Sorry, okay. they're. Sorry. Um, so yeah, that might just be one of those words that I've only ever seen written down. So I was just like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're trying to say chaotic? Sure. No, but I, I, I think that that is a. It's a word that comes to mind often when I think of James Gray's films, and they're also they have like a, a didactic. They're didactic as a feature, not a bug. Um, I, I think Ashley Clark, a, a critic. Um, really smartly and this was I swear this was positive but he said um, Ed Astra isn't on the nose it is the nose <laughs> <laughs> which which I love that because I think on some level this does want us to grapple with its own forwardness like a lot of people I've seen already compare the narration here which is like very vapid um, to something like the original cut of Blade Runner um, and, and so I'm not sure whether a director's cut of this is what, what would be necessary for me to fully immerse myself in it. But there's just something, there's something so clinical here, like in a weird way at times, Gray reminds me of Cronenberg, even though, even though Gray ultimately wants that gut punch, Cronenberg doesn't really care as long as he gets to, you know, mutilate the body. <laughs> um, but there's just at the end of the day, it's not just that the journey is the destination, 
but it it ultimately um, it ultimately asked too too much of me, and um, I, I I can't seem to get past that with all of the films I've seen from him, which are I've all admired to varying degrees. The Immigrant is the only one I actively dislike, but. Oh. Lost City of Z is something that, like, that ending has lingered with me, and I've thought about it a lot. And, you know, on some level, I feel like this is a film that should fundamentally appeal to me as someone who's, like, obsessed with the idea of, like, for so long, my film watching was about trying to find something that feels transcendent to me. Like, I, I know that's an insane idea, but like that was something that was so part and parcel of why I was just like continuously watching film. Thankfully, I've gotten away from that insane aim a little <laughs> bit, but this is nonetheless entirely about that experience and grappling with 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 feelings about the self and one's maker. And I, I, I tweeted this earlier and I think, uh, I think this is in fascinating conversation with first man in the sense that first man to me was about being a God, how you could be in a rickety rocket ship and somehow get to the moon. And this is about seeing God. It's a, and I think that that relationship is inherently why I feel ultimately agnostic about this film to bring it back to spirituality. So again, like it's like, I don't feel built to be moved by this the way that others do, but I'm also really angry at all of you that you continue to have like transcendent experience with James Gray films. Like I would, I would love that. <laughs> it's funny that you brought up first man. Cause this is another, this, that also was in the back of my mind almost the entire time I was seeing this and not necessarily just because it was recent, but because they're both about fun. Like I specifically, when I saw first man, I was, I was sort of, it's, it's definitely flawed, but I was taken with the idea of, using the iconography of the time and of uh, someone who's so well-known in history and then essentially painting him as nothing more than an avatar for the audience, um, which I feel like they kind of do with Brad Pitt as an actor here. Uh, but specifically in First Man, it was like the idea of someone who uh, they're they're enduring all of these hardships to varying degrees in like their domestic life and their professional life and the hardships of the world. And so their, their main response is just to run away and they run away as far as they can, which is space. Yeah. 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 I, I, I am, I am curious, uh, Brian, as, as a person who really hated first man, I, I, I mean, did you think about it at all during this? I did. Yes. Um, okay. Something else though, before we move on sure, and all that, of course, first of all, I usually go last. No, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I just thought it was a good transition because yeah. I was going to mention First Man. So, Well, I'm sure that First Man will come up as we talk about sure. this more. I did need to address something that happened earlier, though. Uh-oh. So I looked up the pronunciation for Quixotic, which is the way it is pronounced because it is an Whoa. English bastardization of the original Spanish. 
So I was right, is what you're saying? No, because you said quixotic or quixotic. <laughs> it's quixotic. Ah, uh, quixotic. Thank you for the yeah, nobody lost. ever says it like that. So. <laughs> I, I've only, I fuck, feel like I've only ever heard people say quixotic, but then I was like, is this one of those things where everyone's <laughs> always wrong all the time and Michael is right? <laughs> and you're like, no, that, that's not right. No, the it's children the children who are right. wrong. <laughs> So uh just need to put that out there, because I know sure. that uh, if I heard that on a podcast and it went unaddressed, I would go fucking crazy. Oh, uh, yes. Anyway, um, welcome to the podcast, Matt. Uh, Bill Graham. <laughs> Bill Graham, what were your thoughts on First Man? No, not First Man. God yeah. damn it, Michael. <laughs> what were your thoughts on Ad Astra? I won. Well, I think uh, you can refer back to podcast... Uh... <laughs> Um, yeah, pull no, that number out of your ass. Yeah, three twenty-eight. I don't know. Right, no, that's way too high. I don't know. Um, anyways, uh, so Ad Astra, um, you still haven't said that movie's name <laughs> about what we're reviewing. Um, anyways, uh, Ad Astra. So I think that this film is more novel than movie and by that i mean that there is a certain amount of distance that you end up feeling uh throughout this film um if you're looking for what is you know film work 101 and kind of stuff like that you're you're usually looking for a lot of the intermix of music and visuals and storytelling and things of that nature and this film every now and then will drop one of those kind of key elements out and you know whether there's a voiceover narration by Brad Pitt which is you know always pleasant um especially when he's not giving an Italian accent and so uh you know i i say that not to demean the film but just to basically put you in a mindset before you go see it and I think a lot of this rapturous praise is surrounding kind of what it feels like to maybe read a novel and get really, really deep inside of it. Um, I've never actually had that experience with a book. I've had thrills, but any kind of emotion and things of that nature, I've never really felt that way except for maybe some nonfiction reading where you just maybe get really angry or something of that nature, but not really like emotions for the characters and things like that. And maybe that's, that's a personal hangup. Maybe that's something that just novels just don't bring out in me. And so I feel like this film is along those lines. Um, it is going to leave you, it leave a certain amount of the audience, uh, cold and distant. And, um, ultimately the narrative, journey that you kind of go through uh hopefully that's still worth it and hopefully that's still something that you want to stick around um as far as the visuals you know i mean you pay a certain amount of money to go see this film in a in a movie theater i imagine and um certainly that kind of money is definitely on screen. This film is absolutely beautiful. Uh, I wouldn't say it's up there with Interstellar, but it's definitely close in terms of just the um, the amount of uh, 
the amount of visuals that are on screen that feel real. Um, James Gray is another one of these directors, much like Nolan, who has a very kind of strict adherence to trying to make things very tactical uh, or tactile. There we I would go. say, yeah, uh, not tactical. Um, <laughs> I, I don't know what kind of leverage he or what what kind of uh, yeah. Uh, anyways, moving on. Um, and so I feel like you can see a lot of that on the screen. Um, but the way that some of these characters flip in and out of this film, the way that the narrative kind of flows, I think there's definitely a, a more novel uh, aspect to it. And some people are definitely going to appreciate that. Some people are going to, like we were talking about before the podcast begin, some people are going to fucking fall asleep in the theater. Um, that's definitely going to happen. And, you know, that's... That is what it is. Uh, I won't say it's unfortunate because, I mean, your experience is your experience when you go watch a movie like this, but um, or any movie, period. But I think I think setting that kind of expectation going in uh, helps so that you know that some of this rapturous praise maybe is kind of couched in the idea that some people really, really enjoy that kind of cinematic experience, and some people are really turned off by that. And I think that's that's one of the major kind of pitfalls. Oh, hey, uh, <laughs> of this film. Um, but overall, like, what 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 the fuck did you think, though, Bill? Um, sure, I liked it. I liked it a lot. I I think I think. Uh, the Immigrant is still one of my favorite films from James Gray. I was put off a little bit distant by uh, what was it? La- Lost La- City. City of Z. Lost City is Z. Z. As, <laughs> as we uh, reinforced in the in the podcast over and over. Um, yeah, no, I I I was put off by that film. I I was left a little cold and distant. This one kind of falls in the middle. Um, the immigrant definitely has just just such a gripping fucking story to it that I think it's hard to be not pulled in. And I definitely think that James Gray doesn't do as much uh, novelizing in that film. I think that's a much more mood oriented and just like lets you stay inside the character perspective and things of that nature without getting like their in inner monologue um and so i think that film just succeeds more on that kind of cinematic level and that's why i responded to it more um but he's he's definitely a filmmaker to uh continue to watch for and and you know look for um if you enjoy some of his output so far and this one's definitely one of the better ones of of his films and i think it's definitely got a very interesting and and something that you can chew on as far as message so i'll start by saying about my feelings about james gray so i have really liked every movie that i've seen of james gray's i liked the immigrant quite a bit um I watched that movie not too long ago and I was like, oh man, this, this holds up. Cause it sometimes feels like that might be one of those prestige dramas that like, I can't mm-hmm. find any enjoyment in after I've seen it once. I can just say, yes, yes. Quite a good movie. 
Now I'm going to watch <laughs> Triple Nine again. But um, <laughs> is it, it's like a static object. It, it's, is that what you mean in that sense? What do you mean like a static object? Like like it's a melodrama that doesn't have. Like I, I'm just wondering wh- why you would say it doesn't have just because it's it's, it's it's you know it might be boring to go back. You know mm. maybe I was just I was like won over by its handsomeness and the acting and everything. But like sometimes if you know where a story's going, then you've seen it and it's done and you don't really feel the need to visit again. Um, sure. No, there's a lot in the immigrant that I think I was so blown away by the tale the first time that I was like kind of blinded from some of the more fun stuff. Uh, I still love the whole like Ellis Island magic show thing. It's just such like a great tactility to borrow one of Bill's words there. Um, mm-hmm. Lost City is Zed. Loved it. Again, a movie that I have returned to and I see things in it that I was too blown away by the rest of it to enjoy the first time. And in a lot of ways, I think that that supports Bill's novel theory. Um, the theory that this movie is like a novel or James Gray's movies are like a novel. Not that the theory itself is very novel, but... <laughs> <laughs> But there's I, like when you're reading a novel, you you are swept up in the story and then you kind of go back and you're like, oh, the scene where he does this. It's so good. And you could go back and read that scene again mm-hmm. and just, you know, mm-hmm. enjoy the language and everything outside of the the story that it's telling. And uh, I feel very similar that I will have that reaction to Ad Astra, a movie that I loved Um every frame, every moment. I just I so I, as we all know, I'm a space guy. Um I think I've said it a couple times on this podcast. Like, I love the concept of space. I love the idea of getting out there, of seeing things. Just the, just the concept, not the reality of it. The reality, the reality is of it utterly, really you know, sucks. existentially terrifying. Um, yeah, as uh, put forth in Gravity. Yes. Yeah. Um, gravity, the movie that, like, more than open water scared the shit out of me because it just <laughs> yes. was like someone reached into my brain and scooped out a fear and then turned it into a movie. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, th- I think I've brought that up. I love sailing. Um, but even sailing on Lake Michigan, I would sometimes like hike over the side of the boat when it was at a, a good keel and just look down and see nothing. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> the water is, is fresh water. So you can see a lot further than mm-hmm. in, um, you know, the ocean. And I would look down and sometimes I could look down 20, 30 feet and see the bottom. And I would still be like, there's something in there. That wants to murder me. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, I understood that. Feeling. Never been to space, but I feel like I would have the same reaction. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, space. Space is a great place. I I love the concept of exploration <laughs> of of going out there and you know just seeing what exists. And so there's a lot in this movie in the small little details that I really loved. I loved so much about this i could really just go frame by frame and just talk about the things that i like i like that a massive portion of this movie hinges on the fact that we've come to the point where we're so adept at space travel that we've now turned our eyes further outward and are looking for alien intelligence like we have this yeah. this lima project which uh tommy lee jones's character was the head of that was solely to go out beyond the heliosphere to escape the kind of noise of the sun to try to find intelligent alien life, you know, that we've created this space antenna that goes up, you know, basically through the atmosphere Mm -hmm. for that. I mean, just the, just the idea of living in a world 
that is devoting resources to that beyond just, you know, SETI is just, it's great to consider. The moon um, is a tourist trap. (laughs) Yeah, I love, like, you take a Virgin Atlantic flight, or I guess a Virgin Lunar flight to the moon. You got to pay $125 for a pillow. You get there and it says, welcome to the moon. Fucking Richard Branson. <laughs> the, you got the uh, you got the what is it? There's an Applebee's and a Subway and a mm-hmm. Hudson News. Yeah, <laughs> and a Virgin Atlantic. Yeah, yeah. Yep. and you're just like you're watching it and you're like, no, that yeah, that makes sense. And I love that like it's it's like going anywhere when it first becomes a cool spot. Like you know, I went to Laredo once, and um, Laredo, Texas. Yeah, and then we crossed the bridge oh, over into Mexico. The disdain with which you say that. <laughs> well, I mean, you might as well film that in Mars. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's kind of what I was going to talk about. Wow. So I go to Laredo. We we cross over into uh, the 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 Mexico side, and uh-huh. which I think is it, it's Laredo, and then it's Nuevo Laredo. Is that on the Mexican border? That, that sounds about right. Yeah, which is weird because you I don't know why, you know, I just feel like the stuff in Texas should be the newer one. But yeah, it's like Laredo and then Nueva Laredo. And we cross the bridge and they're like, please do not go off of this street that you can see straight down and only go five blocks. Because it's tourist fucking central. But the second you go over one block, we we cannot be held responsible for your safety. Mm-hmm. The dark side. Yeah, pretty much. Room. And uh, you know, it was a great place. Had good food. Got myself a nice little carved soapstone chessboard and all this stuff. But you know, it's like it's just weird because it, it felt like kind of the moon in this movie where it's like, welcome to the moon. We got subway. We got all this cool stuff. Also, there's moon pirates. You know, there's there's no national territory because we have those treaties in place that are like no one can own the moon. And so it's basically just like, yeah, so there's some people out there. It's uh, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, what we unfortunately did to uh, the African continent. And we were just like, yeah, we don't care about tribes or geography or anything. We're just going to cut this place up however we see fit. And then we're going to bounce. Just mm-hmm. leave all the mess behind. <clears throat> So world it's building kind like, of weird how much this movie's lost City of Z. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it, uh, first of all it's said. Um this is <laughs> Jesus. <laughs> the lost uh, space of Zed. So yeah, it's um I I just, you know, we'll we'll have to get into it cuz like I said, I could unfortunately spend way too much time just talking about like set design in this movie. The fact that the moon is kind of cool and metal and then you get to Mars and it looks like they dropped a bunch of people there and we're like here you know just make concrete with the mars dust mm-hmm. i just like ah there's so much good in this movie and i think that beyond that you know the story it's telling is really great and the performances are really fun they're fun they're they're admirable and uh i just there's a lot to love here and i'm so excited that we get a chance to talk about it Whoop. yeah and uh meanwhile i fucking hated first man <laughs> no i know but i'm but you still thought about it I did, but just in in the fact of, like, I felt like this movie did everything that First Man was trying to do so much better. Interesting. Okay. Like, I felt the enormity of all of this stuff more than I did in First Man. And I think it's because it didn't have Claire Foy in a terrible haircut screaming, you're just a bunch of boys. You know? Trying to make planes out of balsa wood. (laughs) 
I just think that Let him finish it. I think that that stuff is so goes without saying that the less of it you have in the movie, because I don't think that that character did her any favors. I don't think she could have acted it better than she had. I just think that like that's a known quantity and it, it just hurts to watch her have to do that when you could have like in this movie, a scene of her just silently out of focus in the back, putting the keys down and leaving, which is like, not helping the representation of women in cinema from a time standpoint, <laughs> but it does avoid the classic woman on the phone dilemma that so many prestige films have, you know? But would you not say that that is, I mean, well, I think a lot of the way you approach the movie has to, has to stem from how you see Brad Pitt's character. Like, do you see him as a selfish asshole? Cause I do. Oh yeah, I do. Okay, good. Yeah. That's the thing. Cause it's like, in terms of subjective cinema, yeah, it's 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 very 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 well done, and I mean that's the psychology of how she should be presented if it's from his perspective. So it made sense for me. I was never irked by it because I was irked by him, and that was the point. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's where I land with First Man too, in the sense that I, I think the thing I, I swear we're not going to relitigate First Man. I, just the one thing I wanted to say is like the the bizarre metaphor I've been coming up for is like the space travel in that movie reminded me of like when someone was like, let's put you in this trebuchet, uh, trebuchet, and and just try firing it and see what happens when you try to fly in the sky and that's what the rockets felt like to me like mm -hmm. it, with every second the bolts were just coming out right and, and I, I liked that in first man but i feel like the rest of the movie didn't support that well enough sure you know I, and again i think it's because it it got too enamored of like all their their home life stuff like i almost wish that it had made the point about how they were neglecting their home life or how they would like seemingly didn't care about their home life by not showing us their home life or, you know, having them muffled and out of focus in the background. And then maybe that one scene where Neil Armstrong has to sit down and talk to his children, like everything's in focus and everything's clear. And you see like, this is like the first time you've seen those children and you're just like, Oh my God, like, weren't they just born? Like, how are they this old now? And how is he failing to explain to them what's happening? So astoundingly, you know? Yeah, um, you don't want that sub Malikian, Malikian. Oh, <laughs> God, oh no, I don't. I don't want Neil Armstrong chasing his children around the sun dappled <laughs> Texas ranch house, spinning and throwing sheets in the air. Only Malik can do that, and him just barely sometimes. <laughs> oh, okay. I think I, you know, I love all of Malik's films. I still think that To the Wonder, Baby. Which Maybe <laughs> came closest to tipping over into self-parody with the trust yeah. falls at the side of the road. <laughs> I think once Malik became unafraid to show people like having sex, that that helped him a lot. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like song to song is great because instead of like <laughs> Ryan Gosling, you know, staring at someone through a drape, he just like throws her over a piano and they start making out. And I'm like, oh, right. Yeah, that's what you're going for. <laughs> Okay, so yes. should we get right into spoilers? Because I, I guess I, I – it seems like all of us except for you, Brian, and I, I want to say I, I'm of two minds about what to make of this narration. So 
it seems like Matt, you spoke about the narration, and Bill, you also spoke about the narration. Like on some level, it's it's been weird because there's been some conversations about studio interference, but then there's been <laughs> conversations back the other way that there <laughs> that this is mostly Gray's movie. That even though the narration seems like it's it's very likely studio interference i i believe he said as much um i i so i'm just i'm curious whether as someone who has been like one of those extremely for lack of a better word pure <laughs> tours <laughs> I, i'm curious whether whether those things were things that all of you thought about um or, or just had not thought about or heard about the production or <laughs> what to make of the fucking narration. <laughs> I mean, I don't, that's the thing is I didn't, um, I, I try to go out of my way to not read about movies until I've already seen them. Um, and if I, if I am done writing about it and then I can go back and say, okay, was there some sort of studio in interference? And then it somehow happens to confirm or contradict what I was thinking about the movie while I was seeing it. I'll be like, okay, that's fascinating. But with this one, I mean, I, I didn't even know it was, I, I mean, I wasn't, I was, I was unaware that like I, I knew it played in Venice, but I wasn't sure that it was going to have such a quick release this, this fast out. Like it came out on Friday um, and it premiered less than a month ago. But um, good the point. thing that's like the thing that I thought of when I, when the narration was happening was it felt like someone was trying to streamline it. And then it felt like James Gray was trying to, reorient uh, a studio head's notes in tied into his themes, which is admirable. Um, but I didn't think it totally landed and it's weird because it's, um, I mean, I'm very hit or miss with narration in general. I mean, but the thing that, that kind of pissed me off with this was that there wasn't enough of like a contradiction or it wasn't inherent to how the story was told um it's like it's not necessarily that the narration is on the nose like on the nose narration i can deal with like i'm actually a staunch defender of willem dafoe's narration in vox lux because that yes is, yeah oh, god damn it matt <laughs> matt let's hang out let's be best yeah. friends <laughs> no, i fucking love vox lux let's go see celeste in concert um but yeah, it's like, cause that like for that like as a quick example like that's told like a rock documentary like that's the point um, here, there wasn't enough of like uh, a narrative reason for there to be such a shortcut so often. And it wasn't until the midway point or so where I really started to realize what a piece of shit this main character was that I started to disconnect from everything he was saying. And even his words sounded like just noise, like white noise. And that's, that's, I think that's impressive when a filmmaker can do that, when they can kind of dehumanize their subject to such an extent that you kind of see them as alien, no mm. pun intended, but it's, I don't think anything before that totally stuck the landing. I was very aware of it, as I mentioned earlier. Hmm. I think it's interesting that it almost operates uh, like this is, this is my one defense against this possibility that it's just studio interference. I think it is so forward in a way that goes along with kind of the emotional is constipation fair? Yeah, it's fine. If you want to, <laughs> if, sure. if, 
if you want to use the term used by the elephant in Disney's Tarzan. <laughs> okay. Wow. I, either way, I, I think that there is like even the fact that he's constantly doing tests, uh, you know, test of his blood pressure. And, and there's even a like people say James Gray isn't funny. Like, come on. It is amazing to have his pulse not go above 80. Like what? What an amazingly like dumb detail that still manages to like fit in with this very like mythic uh like intentionally clunky character building like like there's something there's something so interesting to me in in, in James Gray in the sense that I find his arcs so lugubrious <laughs> for the fact that they don't really move that much well, the thing about the, like the 80 beats per minute thing stuck out to me because it was immediate like and again this it was it was sort of like foreshadowing just how unremarkable this character is and again that's the point like sure. his defining trait in his profession is underreacting and <laughs> brad pitt does a really great job in how he sells his delivery because depending on context or if you if someone were to be watching this in one room and someone were to walk in and see a scene out of context, they could say, oh, he looks bored as shit. Or if they came from a different mindset, they could say, oh, he's really determined. He's really focused. And both of those apply really well. But mm. the thing is, it's like, I, I mean, I, and again, it also, and this is kind of jumping the gun, but it, the idea of him being so, he's not extraordinary. He's extraordinary. Um, <laughs> the idea mm. of him fitting that mold also has to deal with the movies, the movie thumbing its nose at tentpole tropes and then having an emotional core, taking it seriously, but not necessarily satirizing it. Hmm. Yeah, no, that's. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't I, find the, the 80 beats per minute thing to be funny. Yeah, I, I didn't either. <laughs> I found it like I found it like amusing. I was just sort of like, oh, yeah, he's this guy. OK, he's this guy. Yeah. He's, he's a man who's been so emotionally deadened by his distant father that he doesn't care if he lives or dies. Um, yeah. He's no, I know, a, but I, avoided I all attachments he, so that he has no emotional response to anything. I mean, like, it's it's amusing in its way, but I don't find it to be comedic. Okay, but it, it's thoughtfully dumb. <laughs> Let me put it that way. <laughs> but I, I, I think I, it's I only... a lot of this movie. Well, also, I think that it's it's... It's thoughtfully dumb insofar as that's a dumb thing for people to find to be impressive because it's a symptom of so much damage. And mm -hmm. for them to hold it up as a kind of like mythic concept kind of just shows like where their their priorities are mm -hmm. in a way. And he's not like, you're damn right. I'm cool as a cucumber. Call me butter because I'm on a roll. Like, no, he just says <laughs> like... He just says, yes, sir. Like he does. He's, he's like, yeah, this is just the way my brain and body works. Like this isn't, this isn't a fun thing for me. <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, I think that, I, I think that's what is so weird about this is, I, I mean, at, at once again, like uh, as we're as Matt was saying, like it is outlining and literally underlining the themes out loud. Mm hmm. But then it, but then it is that hypnosis for so long. Like it, it, it does, 
find a a rhythm and a a, a trance in, in so much of the film. And then it's like reminded that it needs... Oh, we need some exposition to move this forward. You'll know the exact character I'm I'm talking about. I guess it's one of the few things that could be considered a spoiler here. But there's one character here who is almost entirely exposition. And it's just I find this so strange that his films are at once so mysterious but also – have this certain like creakiness. And I kind of found this with Lost City of Z as well. I found this with We Own the Night. Like his narrative machinations seem to always be in conflict with me, with his with his own nature. <laughs> like like it's like if Malik, for instance, decided to have one character like spout a bunch of exposition specifically about the music industry in song to song for instance like mm-hmm. it's it's just so strange to me that these th- to take a, spetif- a space metaphor that he doesn't jettison <laughs> these like um uh, these these bits that are uh, heavy and are weighing down his films and they seem to be apparent that they're heavy. Like, and I guess I've never been able to find the equilibrium between that t- tension. Yeah, that's that's words I put together that don't quite make sense. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, I'm just wondering if uh, I feel like I ran into the same fucking problem with Lost City of Zed. So I'm, I'm just curious whether the rest of you felt this similar uh, push and pull, I guess. <sighs> it's okay, Michael. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> I was going to say, Matt, would you like to pick this up? And Bill's just like, let's just comfort Michael for a moment. <laughs> I'm so alone. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, okay. the push and, like the push and pull was, again, I, I'm curious to see to see how intentional that was, how much that was always the movie he wanted to make because there are, and wait, just, can we like, I don't know. Can we talk about certain things that happen? Let's in this just movie? do spoilers. Just do it for yeah. It? Yeah. Okay. yeah. Michael has pushed us into the spoilers it? with this. Okay, cool. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, um, guys. It's fine. Got to get there okay. sooner or later. Okay. School. Uh, school. What? School. Um, <laughs> school is cool. So school, school means cool. cool. Yeah. Losers. Um, <laughs> Go to school, guys. Please, please. Um, uh, no, but <laughs> it's like that constant push and pull um, is specifically all the action scenes that are so lifeless. And that's and they're lifeless in a way where it's kind of like you're watching them through a thick like wall of glass or something. Um, um, that sort of well, the first was the that sort of I guess you could call it like a chase scene on the moon or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was, you know, it's, it's shot so stagnantly. And one thing that struck me was I was thinking there's like something explodes in the, in a, like a, I don't know what you call them, like rovers, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, like one of the rovers, yeah, one of the rovers, Moon rovers. yeah. Um, one of the rovers explodes and it falls back and you hear an explosion. And I thought, motherfucker, why is there sound? And, and, <laughs> 
it's almost like he was waiting for me to get annoyed by that because the mixing very deftly changed into being like what was being heard within uh roy's own helmet and i was like okay that makes sense sure but it's like in that sort of way there was a push pull in terms of kind of annoying me and then making me kind of feel happy that i was annoyed because it made it all okay um Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and then there's stuff like space monkeys um (laughs) yes that was a whole that was a thing that people were very specifically when i saw it people were some people were chuckling. I saw one woman just sort of shrug, and then afterwards, I feel like four people mentioned space, like space monkeys. That's one thing where I was like, clearly, Wait. none of them have encountered a baboon in in real life. So <laughs> yeah, you know, fuck those not that I have, but I'm just saying. Yeah, because I was like, what is this? And then I real and and it was and again, I was sort of taken aback by it because it's it's so antithetical to the tone of the movie and just how serious it is to have something so batshit and Hollywoodized kind of pop up and then never be referenced again. Mm-hmm. Um, that, I mean, I do like that as a narrative device, the idea of bringing stuff up only to ignore it. Um, uh, like assuming that it's told from the perspective of the character. And that seems that also goes with all the other characters he meets. Um, they all fucking die. Yeah. Um, like he doesn't care about their lives. It's horrible. And it's, it's it was like, a tragedy. <laughs> you know, no, it was not a tragedy. Okay. He's a douchebag. <laughs> and it's like, wow. Okay. All these people are dying left and right. He doesn't really care. He's saying he's doing this. Ex- his, he's doing, he's going on this expedition for the sake of finding renewable sources from alien life forms somewhere else in the galaxy but really it's because he's doing it because he feels lonely like this guy is so up his own ass and i don't think the movie lets him off the hook for it and and i i appreciate that i mean i if nothing else i some people's reactions to it who um i'm not obviously i'm not saying everyone who dislikes the movie but a, a lot of people who dislike the movie um are taking the school of thought of this guy is an asshole and I don't like him. Therefore I don't like, therefore I don't like what the movie is portraying. Therefore I don't like the movie. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean like, yeah, you, you're like t- <laughs> only a couple minutes in when you're like, man, people tend to die around this guy. Yeah. And that's the thing too. I think it's funny. Cause it's like, I was thinking of Icarus like halfway through and then I was like, Oh, it's funny. Cause like he's basically the sun here. They fly too close to him and they fucking burn up and die. <laughs> and and it's one of those things where like it you know if again if you've seen like apocalypse now you know that like the job of everyone else that he's along with on this mission is to die like, yeah that's it's like stripping things away from him but i think that what's interesting about this film in particular is that the that's kind of the point is that there is a moment at which he finally is like god like damn it i actually do care now like i realize what's happening and I feel bad about it. Like he, he talks about at the end, once his father is gone, you know, the one man who he leads some importance on and felt like he could take something from. And what he does take from him is that uh, his absence was terrible and he should try to not be the man that his father was and the man that he had been already. And he's like, I cannot wait for like my solitude to be over. Yeah. And like, that's, that's kind of the funny thing is he's this guy who has this mission and is 
clearly not unmoved by all the people dying around him, but has no idea how to quantify what it means for them to die. Mm. And it's not until he's alone for like 76 days that he's like, ah, yes, right. If everyone else dies, I will be alone. And I can't define myself by the barriers that I put up for other people. And there's not much to me if I'm not pushing people away. And so maybe I need to invite them in. There's such a fascinating, and Brian, I think you mentioned it earlier, but there's such a fascinating lack of, it's not necessarily process, but the way that this, this mission goes so easily for the most part for him, like, like so much time is compressed in terms of, Oh, hold on. What? What do you mean this mission goes easily for him? No, I, I, what I'm saying is that, like the actual space travel is not something that is given the same urgency as his mission. Like, like if we want to go back to first man, there's so much time just like over, you know, close-ups on the instruments and the different panels and things like that. And this is that exact scene you're talking about, Brian, that 79 days in isolation, like that's one of the longest takes in the film. Mm-hmm. It's just like, and it's just staying with him and we're not watching him just like move through like Bill. It's it's not an easy emotional journey, but I think that spatially and in terms of time and it's not what you expect with a space movie. Right. No, what you're, what you're saying is parts of the trip, right? It's, it's, um, so like, so for instance, the Martian, you know, that whole movie is a spaceship going from Mars to earth, slinging around earth and then back to Mars. And like the first part of any movie about a mission to Mars is like, we've been in space for 17 months and we're all (laughs) tired and, the ship is falling apart and we're finally here. And this movie is treating it like a slightly more dangerous version of like taking an airplane. Like yes. there's still stuff happening, but you get the feeling that everyone's kind of old hat at this. And so the conveyance is not the issue. It's it's all the stuff that's happening over the conveyance. It doesn't okay, feel I... difficult to get to these places mechanically. <laughs> yes. Okay. Yeah, maybe mechanically. But but certainly his journey to get to fucking Neptune or whatever is not fucking easy. Right. Well, that's like, when it gets it, hard. That's what I think Michael was saying is that like, that's the longest like scene of the movie. Oh, no, 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 like, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about his journey from earth to the moon, to Mars, to Neptune, everything along that path fucking goes wrong. Everything like, goes it, wrong except for the, the, Except for the rockets, you know? Yeah. It's it's yes. people that fuck up. It's those bad situations. But like yeah, in your space point. movie, you're used to like, all right, we've got to adjust the trajectory. We're gonna have to blow all the air out <laughs> of uh space lock two, and then uh we're gonna have to blah 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 and you know, sure. reverse tachyon thrusters, and then this, they're like, uh, ladies and gentlemen, this is your captain. We reach our cruising <laughs> altitude for our trip to Mars. Uh if you would uh, take your you mood suppressants, uh yeah. we'll be turning <laughs> We only have a limited amount. We'll uh begin bids at uh, one hundred and twenty five dollars. Uh please <laughs> press your thumb onto this faceplate. Thank you. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
Right, right. Okay. Um, so like Michael's saying, like there's not a lot of shoe leather for the space travel, but of course, you know, he's he's going through some shit. There's some a fucking baboon eats a man's face in front of him. I I wonder what y'all make of that because I think I think that's so interesting that so much of this journey is and and the way that I was talking with some friends with it after after watching this movie this this afternoon was that it seems like nobody knows except for maybe a dozen people in the world like exactly what he's doing and why and yet all of these situations and all of these things just kind of keep happening, keep becoming hurdles in his pathway to even getting, getting his mission complete. And, you know, all of this is classified and, and he's on a top secret mission. Right. Um, and you would imagine if, maybe this stuff wasn't classified. Maybe it was more widely known what he was trying to do. Certainly his hurdles would become infinitely more because you would have fanatics that would basically say, Hey, you know, maybe this isn't a message from your father. Maybe this is a message from aliens or maybe we should study this message. Maybe we should figure out what's going on or maybe this was always meant to be. And so you, you would just have, you could imagine a film spinning up enough stories about like what would potentially happen if this was an unclassified mission that he was basically trying to beg his father to stop sending these these waves which you know ultimately ends up he wasn't doing on purpose (laughs) um and so but I, i found it so fascinating that even still even with this highly classified nature to his mission all of these things keep fucking up around him in in just getting him to the location that he's supposed to you know um, even, even so much as like him trying to board the fucking, uh, spaceship to get, get to, uh, the other side of Neptune, uh, to get to his father. Am I saying that right? Is it Neptune? Yeah. Am I fucking yeah. that up? Okay. All right, cool. Um, and like even that it's, it's such like a small innocuous thing that it's like, Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Cool. Uh, let me just board this plane. And, and they're like, Whoa, 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 Whoa. You can't board a plane while it, we're in mid like launch. That's not working, bro. Like do not do this. And even still there's three fucking people there and they all die around him. And it's like, Ooh, why the fuck did that happen have to happen? You know, like nobody could have survived in that situation. And it's like, yeah, no, just chaos keeps happening around this guy. That's not even strictly directly related to the mission. Like that was the one moment that's actually directly related to the mission. Otherwise everything else is just like, "Eh, it's just normal shit just going on. (laughs) I think it's interesting that so many of the things go wrong feel almost a little bit pulpy. Like you want to talk about that first monkey scene, like how oh, that for sure. that, that is first played. monkey scene. Are there more than the one f- monkey scenes? <laughs> okay, then the director scene. <laughs> okay, the primate sequence, like that is played as like they're going to a derelict spaceship, like uh, like what weird alien is going to be here or something, and and the way that. 
with the other astronaut he's with, like the way he's pointing the other way. Yeah. Like that is staged in such a way that it feels like it's reminding you of so many, like just so like a lineage of those types of space films, yeah. you know, everything mm-hmm. from event horizon to alien to, Oh, absolutely. You know, like, and I think that even, even the last thing you were talking about, Bill, like him entering the rocket and then the zero G knife fight, like, I think those are that's more evidence. Maybe you guys will agree with me this time. I, I think that's more evidence that James Gray isn't humorless at all. And he still loves the magic of movies. Like mm. just because he does the lunar chase like in a deadening way, like it's still a thrilling sequence, the way well, that it's arranged. Aesthetically, I feel like the movie does a very good job of of making its filmmaking fit whatever is happening. Sure. Um, you know, like we talk about this lunar chase and we're like, it's kind of boring. It's kind of deadening. But like, I loved that because like, you're a bunch of people in spacesuits on yeah. lunar rovers. I think it's one eighth, the gravity of earth. Yeah. Like, so yeah, yeah shit's going to move so, slow. Like, and, and, also, and like they, they end up like bumping into Brad Pitt's lunar rover and then sending it over a giant crater and it just like spins and then it lands and it's like okay go 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 like an angel like, what falling upon a this? cumulus cloud it lands yeah. and they just keep going <laughs> yeah. and like like the, uh... the guns <laughs> appear to use like i think magnetic propulsion to fire their projectiles mm-hmm. and uh, because there's no fucking air and you don't want to have an explosion in a primarily oxygenated environment <laughs> and the rovers don't like explode in fire because again there's no air and they're probably all run electrically like it's i like how lame it becomes because of the truth of the situation Mm. and that oddity almost makes those seems more dreamlike and urgent surreal yeah because i can't tell what's going to happen at a given point you see like bill like bill said they fly into a lunar crater i was like oh man how are they gonna wait a second (laughs) <laughs> you know like if you had fallen into the grand canyon and be dead but if you're falling <laughs> one eighth gravity it's just like all right we just have to uh deal with this minor obstacle you know this slight inconvenience and then uh we'll be fine i, I it's interesting it's uh engaging too that there's a great detail how the he can't he, they can't talk to the person right in front of him. Like they're trying to have a conversation and communicate about what to do in the moment. And and instead they keep like repeating things (laughs) and like, like they're having a conversation with the ether. Like I, I think that that stuff again, like it's the reality of the situation, but it is, it's also, it's, it's an ability to play with it in a way that I think even Nolan sometimes misses. Like if we're going to talk about the similarly sometimes airless filmmakers, I, I think Gray knows the value of spectacle, even when it's surrounded in in reality. <laughs> if that makes sense, you're getting awfully close to saying that Nolan doesn't doesn't like spectacle because I I think if well, there's I'm... one thing that we know. 
it's definitely that Nolan is a a big fan of spectacle. Especially I was about just, to say, I'm not. Can you define airless as a term as you decided to use it just then? Sure. Uh, I think that both Nolan and Gray, even as they are hugely and enormously different filmmakers, I think that they are both people who shoot their films to feel um, like can they I jump, are. Can, can, can wait, I add? No, no, Bill, let I, him finish. Well, I need to, okay, I need to know I'm, what he's saying here. Are that are sealed shut, like each piece hermetic. of production design. Yes. Hermetic, each piece of production design, each individual setting there, there is a sense that all of those are one with that world and as such, like, feel airless to me, even when it's not in an interior setting. Like, I, I know that seems contradictory to say that about space, considering we're talking about space. But nonetheless, I, I, I that's perhaps why I find Gray uh, sometimes more interesting filmmaker than Nolan, is that I think Nolan sometimes becomes overly enamored with his own with his own ideas as to lose the, I don't know, just the, like, I, I have never gotten a feeling from Nolan that I've gotten from the best Spielberg. Let me put it that way. Hmm. I would, I would, I would love to hear what Matt has to think about this. I mean, I feel like part of the, the perverse fun of any of this movie is watching the, I mean, if nothing else, like the idea of such a blank slate being your centerpiece in this movie, um, it at least keeps the human error there. Uh, as cool as he may stay throughout everything else, the human error is there and it's swirling around him constantly. And it's kind of fun to watch. Um, <laughs> if nothing else, I think the that's the thing. Like I, there, I mean, the movie might it might play as distant. And a lot of that has to do with audience expectations or what you would uh, normally associate with the tropes or just seeing something on a screen with other people essentially informs the, the material you're going to get. And when you don't get that, you're fucking bored. No, um, <laughs> I I mean, it's like if nothing else, I'm really happy that the human error is prevalent in every scene. And I like watching things go wrong. I like people mess things up. I yeah. like. When people are on the edge of imploding, I find it satisfying. And as dry as you make it, I can get beneath it. And I mean, specifically, like, I kind of want to want to clarify what I said earlier about that lunar chase is like, it's very still and it's the way it's shot is a lot more stagnant than you would expect. And when I think of that, when I replay that scene in my head, I think of the the wide shots mm -hmm. and everything is essentially... Sure. Yeah, I, that's how I think of that scene. And that's how I think of a lot of the composition of the movie. Um, even the interior scenes, because the interior scenes, the the pipes and the corridors are essentially wrapping around uh, Brad Pitt's character the entire time. They're kind of like some scenes, they're, they're curlicuing around his mind and sometimes they're really straightened up. Um, sometimes they're, a lot of times they're just barely askew. So it's like, okay, you've kind of got some sort of, this character is experiencing a sort of tunnel vision from a, like from an emotional standpoint. And that's represented here. I mean, I, I like that. 
I mean, as much as I am kind of dogging on the 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 voiceover uh, devices that the movie has, I think it does a fantastic job of actually visualizing uh, someone's what what someone's actually going through without actually having to let them speak because this isn't a guy who speaks and probably it's for the better. Yeah. I don't, I don't feel, I'm wondering if I ever said my thoughts about the voiceover or the possibility of studio interference. I don't think that I did. I found the voiceover. I feel like, you know, if, if you've heard what I've had to say about the movie thus far, the voiceover for me was fine. Mm -hmm. Um, I won't comment on studio interference. I just, I just purely cannot know what was and wasn't studio interference. Um, the movie doesn't feel particularly compromised to me. Um, I, I liked some of the voiceover. I think I've already quoted a couple of lines of it. People that I read were like, well, that would explain why he sounds so somnambulant. And I would say to them, have you seen this goddamn movie? That's literally the point of his character. Um, I don't know. I, I find it interesting. I, I hear airless and I think lacking in all propulsivity. You know, but like I find the, his movies and Nolan's movies to be very propulsive. I would say, uh, I don't think there's a word for what I want to say, like diorama ish. I do feel the sterility. Um, you know, it's it's weird because you know, famously when people go to like sandy African or Middle Eastern countries, they do it to make things look dirty and kind of dangerous. And in Inception, Christopher Nolan makes it seem like it's just another, you know, day in his carefully planned wonderland of of straight lines. Um, it was the most orderly that I've ever seen any of those places portrayed. So that's definitely the way that he rolls. Um, Bill Graham, you had been uh, wanting to pounce on what Michael Snydell was saying. Yeah, I mean... I was thinking that he was trying to basically say that there's an emotional disconnect between some of Nolan's and some of uh, James Gray's films. And by by mentioning kind of the airless nature to them, and I think – and I mean ultimately, Michael, that w- doesn't seem like that was your your point, but – that's the way that I was kind of interpreting it. And that's what I was going to reinforce was definitely both filmmakers, I think by now have a reputation of like I was mentioning at kind of the outset. Um, maybe Nolan less so uh, because he's made so many bombastic, like uh, uh, populist films. He doesn't have that reputation except for some of his emotional movies whether it's like interstellar or something of that nature where it's it just doesn't seem like it should or doesn't seem like like it hits the way that it should um even inception that movie is all about like main like overarching theme is like a character's relationship to another character that's dead and how that like interferes with his ability to do work and like his potential relationship with his kids and all of this complex stuff and by the end of the movie you're either like okay cool that was a rad ending 
but I didn't feel anything. And I think that's that certainly kind of follows through with some of James Gray's stuff as well, um, where you watch all of this emotion like Interstellar, right? Like there's that famous now memeified sequence with Matthew McConaughey where he watches like a, a series of, of years go by and he's just crying his ass off. And some people I'm sure are feeling a lot of emotions myself included, uh, with a lot of other people were like, okay, cool. What's next? <laughs> you know? Um, so I think some of these filmmakers have, have that kind of reputation where certainly the, the bombast is on screen, but maybe the emotional punch isn't quite as finely tuned, um, as, as they're kind of just, big set pieces and and design kind of ultimately end up becoming uh, yeah i think it's the the bombast is less the sum of its is less than the sum of its parts for me and and i think i i'm i'm gonna go back on what i was saying in, in t- calling james gray airless because i think that oddly enough my 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 conflict with him the things i wrestle with him in all of his films is the implied freedom that is right outside the frame. And that is often through the, the gigantic wide spaces and how much we're able to project onto it. And often how much he uses faces as a, as a conduit for, you know, more complicated Subjects, but I think that's what's so strange to me is I get so caught up in these uh, bugs in the system, <laughs> whether you want to quantify them as voiceover or Helen or um, or just the the moments where this does feel less to me, but it, it's never really about the. I don't really have the problem that I've seen some of the discourse turn to about this film, like that it's about simplistic things. I, I'm I'm trying very carefully to not say the key words that have been thrown around with this film, but <laughs> I, I I assume you guys know what I'm referring to. Yeah, and I'm kind of surprised that the I, I have absolutely no fucking idea because I don't I don't engage in Twitter discourse, so it's not just Twitter discourse, but uh, people have called this the sad white man astronaut movie, the daddy yeah, like, issues movie. Yeah, like he just says daddy issues. It's like we've seen this all before, and I'm kind of like, I, it... do these people not understand like allegory? <laughs> that, you know? Yeah, but I, I I think the thing that does that is in their fate. I don't want to give them favor. Let's not give them favor. <laughs> I, I think that there, this reaches a bluntness though, that moves way beyond allegory. Like when we're talking about the final t- tethering scene, which I don't, I, again, I want to specify, I don't have a problem with, with the destination of this film at all. And I actually did find it kind of moving him going back um, but I think that those things are, 
are so odd. And I don't think it's as simple as people saying like, he's a better filmmaker than a writer. Like, I, I think that feels wrong. <laughs> <laughs> like I, I, I think maybe it's just cause I don't like easy answers like that, but I, it, it is the, it all is always ultimately the writing that, gets me on this and i think that this one more than anything i i think matt you alluded to this but i'm i'm, I'm very surprised this is the one that seems to be the breakout of yeah, his like, films yeah i mean well i mean to be fair it may just be the kind of building momentum that is james gray that he could even get this fucking movie made to begin with right like sure how yeah, does he I mean, get this movie like, made? Yeah, and it's like I'm because it's I think it's it's I mean it's kind of impressive that someone who is I mean you're like I mean for argument's sake like we were just talking about Nolan a lot. If you're talking about James Gray versus Christopher Nolan, no one's going to know who James Gray is. And yet this movie, depending on what sources you read, this is this cost uh, anywhere from eighty million to a hundred million. And um, it has Brad Pitt in it, and it premiered in Venice. It even has Liv Tyler in it, uh, basically thumbing her nose at her own Armageddon role. And she's doing <laughs> the same thing here, and that's the point. Like, stuff like that. But, I mean... Where's the animal cracker scene? That's what yeah. we need to bring back. <laughs> I need her hand against a uh, staticky television as she cries. Yeah. And it's like, it's like even <clears throat> going back to... Um, audience expectations and how people interpret just exactly how how moving a scene could be or how saccharine it could be if you look at it from a different even in a different light do you think that this is going to if you're look depending on how you're gonna you're gonna talk about this movie like do you think a lot of people seeing this movie are gonna even know who james gray is like no. do you think this is going yeah exactly like do you think this even matters in the grand like in the in terms of uh, like the multiplex discourse of it when it comes to how this would impact his career in, as in, a fu- in the future or how it, you know, fits into the the sudden online um, blowback in terms of people disliking this movie because of what it uh, is about or is perceived to be about. Yeah, I also think people are really dumb. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, your <laughs> opinions matter. How could you be so cold? <laughs> I, I mean, like, oh yeah, that's the thing. It's like, I also think it's it's fascinating how it's. I, uh, I kind of got a kick out of the the idea that this movie got like people have been clapping back at this movie within the first twelve hours that it had been out. There was no. It didn't take time for people to have to reevaluate it or say actually it's not that good. It just sort of happened. I think and that I, that happens at, at festivals. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, but it's, I mean, obviously, like, there were people who were massive fans of it when it played at Venice, but it's not like this is the type of movie that is, I, like, I wouldn't, I would not personally classify this as a bold film in terms of the reactions that it would elicit. I wasn't expecting people to get so worked up about a movie that, we have you know, we have seen, we have seen this genre and we have seen these building blocks before um and especially for a movie that's kind of saying oh what you've been desensitized to 
Um, here it is uh, in a you know in a slightly more serious context. Um, are you moved by it now? How about now? I don't know. I don't know what multiplex audiences want anymore, honestly. I legitimately I, don't know either. I, uh, you know, it's one of those things where you're like, remember what was like the biggest hit in 1995? And it's just, uh, it's just weird to see that, uh, to see this movie and be like, I feel like this, this should, this should cost some amount of money. That's pretty good. It apparently is number two this weekend. Which is nice. Well, I mean, I mean, let's it's be honest. It's behind Downton Abbey. I didn't even realize that movie came out this weekend. Oh, oh yes. It's, oh, yes. yes. It's raking and, up a lot of movie. Or yeah. Money. It's, you know, <laughs> I'm wondering if, because the, the estimates at, like, as the time we're recording this on Sunday night is, they're so close. It's like, this is 150,000 ahead of Rambo. <laughs> um, so <it's>, it <laughs> remains to be seen whether or not it'll be two or three, because, you yeah. know, this matters. Well, I mean, let's let's try not to get into the box office. Oh, no, because, I'm no, 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 I, I, I'm, I'm talking about more generally, because honestly, if we knew what the fuck sold like a movie, we would be filthy rich because besides Disney at this point, I don't think there's anything that's even guaranteed, period. Like no. nobody knows what any of these movies are going to fucking make. And then sometimes there's a movie like it. You know, the first one where you're just like, really, that mo- that movie made like one hundred and eighty million dollars opening weekend. Like, why the fuck did that movie make that much money? It had nobody in it. And then it makes a gi- gigantic amount of money. And then you're like, oh, yeah, horror films are like are like doing pretty well right now, aren't they? Huh? I wonder. But not that fucking well. <laughs> and so it's it's just what audiences want and what they end up buying and eating up are sometimes very different um and part of that may be just because the blitz of advertising that happens now where you know everybody knows about you know certain x movie but you know a, a movie like Downton Abbey which i was fed a lot of advertisements for um, but apparently Brian didn't even realize came out this week. I knew that you it know? was like coming at some point, you know, clearly I'd seen stuff where sure. I just never noticed like what the date was. It is weird though. Like the internet was supposed to help people target ads to us, you know, and, um, <laughs> and it sucks at it. Like, you know, I, it should be like, it should be shouting ad Astra into my eyeballs. And I kept seeing stuff for Downton Abbey and I was like, why does it think that I want this? I've never yeah. watched Downton Abbey. I've but never written somehow, the words Downton Abbey onto Twitter, and yet somehow this is the one. I I got news for you, Brian. You're about to get served a lot of Facebook and Instagram and Twitter advertisements for Downton Abbey right now because you just said Downton Abbey like five times. In <laughs> but I've so. been screaming at Astra all the time, too, and also First yes. Man once or twice on accident. <laughs> It's just weird. But like, their marketing I'm, budgets are already shrunk. Downton Abbey's is just like, oh, you want more? Here you go. Here's more money. Well, that's the crazy <laughs> thing is that like, so every once in a while, like my mother asks me every week, like, what are you seeing this weekend, Brian? And I say, mm-hmm. I'm seeing this, ma. And sometimes she'll <laughs> say, oh, I've heard about that. Or I've never heard about that. And this time 
she was like, oh, oh, that's Brad. That's uh, she had no idea what I was talking about. And I said, it's got Brad Pitt in it. She's like, oh, I saw him on a morning thing talking about whatever. And I'm like, I don't understand. My mother and father mm-hmm. are people who watch television. You know, they've got the TV on. They've got their stuff playing. They listen to the radio like I don't I only get stuff through the Internet, which is terrible at marketing things towards me. And I I feel like they should be the most fully aware people of every movie that's coming out. If these things are getting any kind of airplay and it infuriates me sometimes to think that like you have a movie like Ad Astra, which should be the most insanely marketable movie, even if you're technically lying about its existence and what it actually stands sure, for. But like, sure. it's just weird that like my mother has to be like, Oh, I saw Brad Pitt sort of on a morning show. And the only anecdote she could recall was that he had like asked the astronauts who helped train him, whether he or George Clooney looked better in a spacesuit. <laughs> what was the answer? I don't, my mother does not remember the answer. I, I did ask. You can't do that, right? <laughs> But it's just there was definitely a moment where I thought one of the astronauts, the the flight commander for uh, his ship to Mars, I thought he looked vaguely familiar to uh, George Clooney. I was like, did they just fucking sneak George Clooney in this? (laughs) I was like, you know, he's got the hat on so you can't really see his his whole face. And I was like, what the fuck? And then and then I was like, oh, no, 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 no. That's that wouldn't happen. <laughs> they uh, they they uh they snuck uh, Natasha Leone in there though, right? Oh my um, god, yeah. That's the last we're going to talk about it. Um, <laughs> what was the thing I was going to say? It's just weird because you know, released around the same time ish in 2013 was Gravity, which ended up making 274 million ninety two thousand seven hundred five dollars. Apparently, <laughs> wait, what? what the fuck? <laughs> I'm sorry. Kidding? Why is is everyone just? Uh, laughing at my specificity or are you shocked that that's the final domestic total of gravity i am shocked that that's the final domestic total of gravity the worldwide total for gravity or bad i mean that's that's great it's 270 million 74 million yeah yeah yeah. the final worldwide total for gravity was 723 million 192,705 what was an interstellar Less than that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it was not a billion dollar movie, so we don't talk about it. Uh, Interstellar actually made um, $188,020,017 in America. That's, what? That's way more than I expected. Yeah. Um, and then, well, Chris Chris Nolan, uh, I call him Chris. We're friends. Chris, <laughs> Chris Nolan. His movies Mr. play Nolan for a long you, time. Sir. People go back and see those. And also they are the kinds of movies that adults like to go see, you know? So mm-hmm. it's not like a movie where it's like it made seven million, seven hundred million million in three weeks and we'll never hear about it again. It's like, oh, that movie played for like 27 weeks and kept making money. Um, the worldwide total for Interstellar was $677,463,813. Now, another thing to note, Interstellar is nearly three hours long. Gravity is an hour and a half. Mm-hmm. which yes that does make a difference yeah. um but so it's just interesting like, i feel like you know if interstellar and gravity are making that kind of cashola which is not a word uh you'd think that ad astra could do the same with I the right I mean, marketing I mean, behind I mean, it, it is opening like, weekend <laughs> i mean i the thing is like i mean if you're gonna go off of like what the movies have to offer audiences and how they would rea- react to it at least in theory it's like gravity is an hour and a half of a spectacle and it was pretty much sold solely on being 
uh, two massive stars in a movie that is pretty much an animated movie, but you wouldn't know if you looked at it. Mm -hmm. Um, It was just pretty much sold as being a massive jump forward technologically, whereas Interstellar had a fanboy name and, um, you know, way more heart to it, or at least I mean, heart, I mean, if you want to call it that, I mean, you have Anne Hathaway talking about love as another dimension or something, but, um, you know, they're, they're at least more accessible in, in, in plainer terms. Um, I don't think people are going to react to Ad Astra as much, which is a shame because out of all those movies, I like this one the best, um, because it put me the most in a trance. Um, if I'm, I'm kind of curious to see how many people are going to walk away from it only thinking of the movies it references, um, because that's by design. Like you have the uh, the 2001 moon base. You have the uh, apocalypse now. Well, yeah. I mean, 2001. Come on, give me the oh, movies, man. Oh, I know everywhere. Yeah, yeah. The 2001 moon base specifically when they land right. on the moon the first one. That's what that made me think of. Um, you have the Blade Runner. You know. The walls seem to be lit from within. You have the silent running sort of like greenery projected onto the that like room. He like I remember. Yeah, that made me think of um, Sunshine has a room like that. Oh, okay, yeah, sure. I thought of it as like a. It made me think of a a sort of like anesthetized version of uh, any sort of actual nature. You know, like these movies, you'll always see some sort of pop of of organic life and something that's otherwise Mm -hmm. completely sterile here. Even that is sterile because it's projected onto a wall or it's, or or it's rear projected or whatever. But, um, I mean, and that kind of, and like uh, unintentionally that goes back to, you know, how I, as, as I was writing about the movie, that's when I started to finally realize how much of it was really, it was about the movies that it was similar to, um, because I'm going to be like, quite frankly, that wasn't something I was consciously thinking of during the movie. I was thinking of it in terms of a sensory experience, or I was thinking about how satisfying the marble like planes of some of the, uh, the stargates look stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Well, I, I was really hoping that, uh, towards the end when he's, uh, being, being shot, uh, by his jetpack into the asteroid field, uh, and using a piece of the other, uh, uh, space station, I guess. It's a, uh, the rings the, the of other... Neptune. It's not an asteroid yeah, yeah, yeah. field. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, when he's, uh, using a piece of that ship as kind of a shield, I was really fucking hoping that he was going to turn it around and, and start surfing on it. And, uh, <laughs> I was I was hoping that, but then Cowabunga! Like, yeah. uh, what is it? The guy from uh, Treasure Planet? Oh, well, didn't the guy yeah, from Treasure Planet have like a surfboard? I was, I was I was I was thinking Silver Surfer. <laughs> oh, you know, well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, I was really hoping for that, but it never happened. So the uh, you know we've been pretty good about um, not doing shitty portmanteaus and puns and stuff, but uh, the the moon chase <laughs> is that Mad Maxtra? Is that word? Oh, okay. Uh, okay does the dog die <laughs> oh right we gotta do does the dog die are we all done talking about this movie again i we yeah. we have to stop at some point i could keep going i have so much to say but i think we've we've hit the bill the bullet points and we've done a good job um before we do the does the dog die game um our you know guest matt would you is there anything else you want to touch on oh no i'm fine all right mm-hmm. great 
Now we play Does the Dog Die.com game. This is the game where we have to decide what the fine people at Does the Dog Die.com thought of this movie. Um, if you're not aware, Does the Dog Die is the crowdsourced emotional spoilers for books, TV, and movies. <laughs> So what we do is we ask the question and then you have to decide if the people on doesthedogdie.com voted yes or no. So the first question, does the dog die? There is no dog. There is no dog. I don't think there's a dog. Oh, there are dogs. There's a dog in Mars. But does it die, Bill? It does not die. Okay, you know, yes. but it But it's definitely eating out of, out of like a, oh, a, a yeah. random container. Well, it oh, doesn't die, right. though. Okay, I forgot that. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Bill. That's a good pull, Bill. <laughs> I, I, I pay attention sometimes. <laughs> this movie was over two hours, including credits, so that's pretty impressive. Um, uh, does an animal die? Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. That baboon gets got. <laughs> two of them. Two of them. You know, I, I do I do want to mention one thing about that sequence, which is I love that A, like he's he's using kind of the audience's incredulity incredulity. Yes, thank you. Um he's using the audience's kind of emotional shock at that moment of just being like, oh, this is fucking ridiculous. Why is there a baboon here? What the fuck? Wait, why is it mad? Oh my God. Oh my God. Like that is exactly what Brad Pitt's character is kind of experiencing at that same time. (laughs) And when he's like fumbling for his gun, you're like, dude, shoot it. Dude, shoot it. What are you doing? And you're just like, oh yeah, this would be really freaky to see like a baboon has figured out how to jump around in zero gravity. Like you're just like, wait. What the fuck? Like, how how aren't you just like spinning in circles right now? Like, right, just uh, run and scream. Yeah, he's <laughs> <laughs> just like, holy shit. So yeah, uh, I I really love that sequence because I was just like, oh, this is really can't, fucking freaky. Can't believe we didn't talk about his psyche valve after that, where he's like, so I got attacked by a space monkey, <laughs> and See, he's um, not careless. What was that? It was like another thing where James Gray is not humorless, as Michael was saying. Like, this movie is kind of amusing at points, and sometimes it's just <clears throat> funny. Well, what I love is that it would be – it's very easy to be like monkeys and – well, I, they're not monkeys because if it doesn't have a tail, it's not a monkey. It's an ape, right? Is it a primate? Primate? I think a baboon's a primate, right? Yeah, I, I think so. Anyway. Anyway. Dance. Um, <laughs> so, anyway, what was I going to say? Um, baboons are apes. Uh, oh, right. So – it would be it would be easy to make that kind of like a crazy scene that's just like whoa space is weird, but instead he goes back and sits down for his psyche val. He's like, so uh, I was attacked by baboons and uh, a guy died, and they're like, mm-hmm. can you please expound upon that crazy thing that you just said so we can test? Yeah, how your did psych-? that affect you? Right, and yeah. so he starts talking about it and he he launches into this super interesting. Mm-hmm. Like the first human emotion that he is shown to empathize with is the rage of an ape that is mm-hmm. lost in space. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's, that's on the nose writing. As Michael said, that writing might be the nose, but the way it's acted and written is just fucking exemplary. Yeah. I um, really like that sequence. By the way, does the dog die.com. Yes. An animal dies. Two baboons die. One be <laughs> a gunshot and one explodes. Oh yeah. I forgot the other one gets, uh, what would you even call that? 
Uh, I guess loaded. Degravitized, de- deoxygenated. He and so it just he decompressurized. He depressurized the thing, so it became a vacuum, and it got ripped apart at the seams. Gotcha. Okay. Cool. Does a head get squashed? Yes. Well, I mean, kind of. Kind of. It's just like thrown against. It gets against bitten. A... It gets mauled. I don't think it gets squashed though. I, I, it's squashed like it needs to be completely gone. Look, Can I can't like... give you these answers. I just know what the people at DoesTheDogDie.com said. I'm just asking the and philosophical remember, questions. And remember, <laughs> remember that they have insanely detailed answers on this site. Deceptively. <laughs> I'm going to go with no. I think it. I think they're going to say that a face gets mauled, but other than that, there's no... Like, wait, what about that? Lunar, what about the lunar chase? What about the 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 guy's face on that? Doesn't doesn't his face like get imploded? I don't I don't him, know how to answer these questions for you, Bill. They make him roadkill. So I need it to yes I'm, or no. <laughs> I'm still going to go. No, I'm still going to go. No, we don't see what actually happens to that guy's face. OK, the answer is yes. Damn it. According yes. to them, a head explodes. You see a squashed head, but it exploded off screen, which I think is on the the uh, the Lima with the bag over it. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And okay, then it okay. also says someone's face gets eaten. Which, there you go. Okay. Uh, here's another one. Does a parent die? <laughs> <laughs> what happens to Tommy Lee Joe? He's just been chilling. <laughs> I have a I I here's the thing. If you were to discount Tommy Lee Jones, you would still answer this yes. Because the driver of the lunar rover has that picture of his wife and child. Oh my god. <laughs> I'm just when? saying. When do we see that? When do we see that? It's when they're doing the lunar chase and he dies. And then there's yeah, a picture of his wife and kid. Where? Where is that picture? On of like his wife? a screen in the corner of a cheek. Bill, you've already lost the goodwill you built up with the dog. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Never mind. Oh, boy. All right. Uh, I got one more for you. We got to wrap this up. Does someone die by suicide? Yes, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> sure. It's like a weird cord pulling exercise, literally. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> Cut the cord, son. Man, um, I like so, how you were really enthusiastic at first, and then you're like, I don't know. So even like though Michael, point, like, yeah, sure, fuck it, I don't know. <laughs> maybe it was, maybe it was patricide. Maybe he was just like, just end my suffering. Maybe it was assisted suicide. Does it matter? He's fucking dead. No, because I, I he 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 jets off. I feel like that's you know he he's like I don't want to be here. I feel it. But anyway, the answer is yeah. Yes, and he also says like, let me go. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Though, as Michael pointed out, he could just, quote, be chilling, end quote. <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, Is that the exact wording they used, too? No, I was just saying that. Oh, to my God. <laughs> no, they're much more professional than that. <laughs> he got fucked up. <laughs> All right, so that's it for DoesTheDogDie.com. Always fun, always great. Tell your friends. You, you play this with any movie that's ever happened on this earth, and it will be a good time. 
So that's it for today. Um, thank you for listening to us jabber on about Ad Astra, a fantastic movie that I uh, believe might possibly be uh, talked about more at the end of the year on this year podcast. Wink, wink, nudge, oh. nudge. Why are we talking about worst movies of the year? Oh, hey. Michael Snydell <laughs> reaffirming his brand. Anyway, that's it for today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, don't forget to go to mubi.com slash filmstage for your free 30-day trial of movie where you can check out the movies that we talked about earlier. My name is Joe and Sweet 16 by Ken Loach, Scarlet Diva, Broken Circle Breakdown, and a bunch of other great stuff. Um, what was the one? Vim Vendors in America. You got the Million Dollar Hotel in Hammett. Yeah. Also, don't forget to give us your money by going to patreon.com slash show. Follow us on Twitter at Film Stage Show, Facebook, The Film Stage Show, podcastfilmstage.com, and rate us on iTunes. All right, let's tell the <laughs> fine people where we can be found between now and the next episode. Let us start with our guest, Matt. Where can people find more of your work online? Uh, my Twitter is at Cipolla Matt. Uh, it's C I P O L L A Matt. And just look at the description. You're listening to this after it's been posted. It's fine. <laughs> or, um, I don't. Yeah, that's that's most of it. You want to stalk my shitty posts on Instagram? Do that too. There's just a period between my names. That's it. I don't know. <laughs> All right. <laughs> you can also you can also uh, what what is that word? What what is that word when you want to support promote things? What, what do you call that? Plug. 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 Yes. If you wanted to plug anything, you could also do that right then. <laughs> oh, can I? <laughs> yeah, of course. Okay. <laughs> go to the school.net and donate to the patreon please we're great we're a great site michael Snydell <laughs> writes stuff for us i do yeah so you have oh, no dang. excuse you gotta fucking go there yeah it's it's it's, it's a nice looking site <laughs> all right <laughs> bill graham <laughs> You can find me in movie theaters near you at uh, at Twitter you handle <laughs> <laughs> at Twitter me. handle at GableBFG. Uh, you can uh. also find me mixing it up on the Slack channel. I don't know. I didn't have anything fun and quippy to say at the end of this because <laughs> I was just listening to that disaster that just happened. So, <laughs> all right, great, Michael Snydell. You can find me being less professional than Does the Dog Die on Twitter at, at Snydell um, and uh, on Letterboxd, still doing uh, Hooptober. Just watch Slumber Party Massacre, which kind of rules. Again, excuse me, Hooptember. <laughs> okay. It's September. Stop trying to make. Give me an excuse to watch more horror movies, Brian. Quit Jeez. trying to make Fetch happen. <laughs> Yeah, just I, keeps happening earlier every year. Yeah, I don't have any writing currently. I am trying to. I, I've had some people ask me. I am not sure what's going on with Sif. Uh, so some things going on in my life. So I will say on Twitter if I'm covering it. Uh, me and Max did a podcast that you can still listen to from last year. Or we did. Oh no, we did two podcasts. Jeez. Um, that you can still listen to from last year where we talk about a lot of our favorite movies of this year, like things like Transit, Ashes, Pierce, White, blah, 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 et cetera, et cetera. Um, I particularly yeah. am looking forward to et cetera. <laughs> it, it's the sequel to uh, Ad Astra. 
Yeah. Ad Astra, etc. <laughs> oh, please, please just end this, Brian. <laughs> You're who keeps talking. I'm sitting over here waiting to plug my Twitter. Go, um, go. I can be found on Twitter and all other social media sites at Brian J. Rowan. I will say my Instagram is fucking fantastic. So go check that out. Um, what else? Uh, my personal site, BrianJeron.com. And of course, you can find writings and uh, every episode of this podcast ever produced over at thefilmstage.com. Uh, Michael Sado, what are we talking about next week? Um, it was going to be in the shadow of the moon, but reviews are coming out of Fantastic Fest. It sounds like Netflix might have another clunker. Paradox. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Well, so we'll we'll see. I, I was really excited for that one. I really like Jim. Is it Jim Mickle or is it? Yeah, yeah is Jim it Mickle Mickle. Bill? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's uh, we're a fan of him. So I'm not sure yet, but it's not that sucks because that sounded like kind of a fun high concept kind of thing. Yeah, it's getting pretty rough reviews, but we'll we'll figure it out. And we and will... that's a bad place to get rough reviews from because <laughs> uh, you know, having been at Fantastic Fest, I love that place. But uh, yeah, those very star kind fuckos to... will give anything a good review. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're they're very kind to genre films. So if it's high concept, if it's fucking weird and stuff like that, they'll go fucking bananas for it. And the fact that they're not reacting well to it uh, says quite a bit. Oh, I didn't think yeah, I just made it worse. Didn't I? <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay. Good times. So glad I brought this up. Next week, we'll be talking about the Goldfinch. <laughs> <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen. Good. Thanks. I'm glad I watched it. Thank then. you for joining us. Tune in next time. <laughs>